James Davis. Hello, listener, and thank you so much for joining us on the Teaching Abroad pod, coming at you on Wednesday, the 9th of June. I am your host, James Davis. This podcast is brought to you by Oxford Seminars. If you are looking to teach overseas or online, check out Oxford Seminars' new and improved 120-hour TESOL TESOL TEFL course, complete with access to the unrivaled job placement service. Go to oxfordseminars.com for more details. And with that, welcome to episode four of the Teaching Abroad pod, where we discuss all things TESOL from travel adventure stories and food recommendations to teaching teaching tips and job search advice. We will be releasing new episodes at least every two weeks with some potential bonus episodes coming along too. So be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss any new podcast episodes. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or pretty much anywhere you can find your podcasts. Uh, My producer informed me that there are 11 different ways to get this podcast, so you're spoiled for choice. Um, On today's show, we'll be discussing China and K-pop with um, teacher and former job placement advisor, Janice Tremblay. But first... I am joined by my co-host, Alex Yaland, and he is a job placement advisor at Oxford Seminars. So, Alex, how's it going? Good. I'm doing well, James. How about you? How are you doing? I am doing very, very well indeed. I am very excited for Euro 2020, the big soccer tournament that's coming up, uh, where inevitably England will leave me heartbroken. But that's okay. I thought you meant the Eurovision Song Contest when you said Euro 20. Oh, we, yeah. I mean, that was a, another story. Uh, the UK got zero points in the Eurovision Song Contest. And uh, it may not have been to do with the talent of our entry. I think Brexit has destroyed any chance of us winning Eurovision. Well, I think you wrote a blog about something similar to that. Didn't you? I did, yes. I do have a, a blog on our website, uh, oxfordseminars.com forward slash blog about the effects of Brexit in the ESL industry. However, I did not foresee the effect that it would have on the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> so that is an oversight on my part. Might have to add a part two, but we'll talk about blogs later on towards the end of the episode. First, we're going to talk to Janice about uh, teaching in China. I've never been to China. I always wanted to. I've taught in Taiwan and I went to Hong Kong on a visa run and I ended up staying in what I didn't realize was going to be a capsule hotel, or I think they might have called it a capsule hotel, which on the website seemed kind of fancy and the price was definitely right. So Mm -hmm. I arrived in Hong Kong and uh, was sitting on the bus from the airport and it was sort of like we were going through all these different downtown neighborhoods and oh this looks really nice as we kept going it started getting decreasingly nice and at a certain point I thought oh I just starting to look almost a little bit unsafe uh and then of course lo and behold that was my bus stop so I got off and I'm like oh boy where am I I really wasn't sort of prepared And I was looking at my phone and it was like, okay, well, there's an elevator somewhere back here you have to go and find. So I went through some 
slightly dodgy sort of like closed uh, mall in the ground floor of an apartment building and found what looked like a service freight elevator or a cargo elevator. It didn't really have any numbers, just had a bunch of buttons. And I was, I knew it was like number five, the fifth floor. So I just kind of pushed what looked to be a fifth button in this old thing. And meanwhile, there were all these sort of people milling around in there. I'm not really sure because it was evening and the stores were closed, but they were kind of hanging out in there. And I, as I was waiting for the elevator to come, they were kind of drifting over towards me. And I was like, oh, this, this is um, interesting. But the elevator did arrive and I, I hopped in, doors closed, I went up, doors open, and I just see like laundry hanging all over the place. And it looks like an abandoned floor of this office building where someone has just hung their laundry everywhere. And so I'm like, this can't be it. But I didn't know what else to do. So I got off and I wandered through these shirts and slacks that were hanging there drying and finally found someone in the back. And I kind of showed them my reservation that I'd printed off and they yelled at me a little bit and then left and then came back and yelled a bit more and then left and came back. And then they were finally like, okay. And they showed me to the, the room, which ended up being like a little door, like a little Alice in Wonderland door, like halfway up a wall. And it was basically like a coffin. It was like sleeping in a coffin. It was like crawling up into this coffin sized slot with a tiny little door. And you just were in this little bunk situation. And it was like maybe, you know, a meter by a meter. It was tiny, but there was still a room. Somehow they'd managed to wedge a TV in at one end of it. So basically you were just lying there in this little box and down at the end of your feet, there was just a TV screen. Uh, and so I looked in and I climbed in it. I lay in it for a second and I thought there's no way I can sleep in this. So I got out and I communicated to them like, this is a no-go and they sort of communicated to me, well, you can do an upgrade for another $5 and get you know the upgraded version. So I went with the upgraded version which basically gave me an extra meter of headroom above me so it was slightly it was more like lying in a tent now and you know at that point it was too late to try anything else so that's where I slept that night uh what about you James have you done, had any experiences like that um I had um a trip to uh mainland China I actually went to Beijing nice. um went over Chinese New Year so it was actually incredibly quiet in Beijing which is unusual um the hotel was very nice i can't i cannot uh, compete with the horrors of your capsule hotel experience um but uh, i did have a an experience trying to get dinner on the first night because you know we went there over chinese new year everything was closed uh, like what are we gonna do but my old friend kfc came to the rescue <laughs> so, the colonel Yes, the colonel saved me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you finally like visit this like wondrous city of the world, like you know, bucket list stuff, and just sat in a KFC <laughs> eating my dinner. But it was okay. It picked up after that. Uh, went to see the Great Wall. Um, you know, just it was a short trip, but we got a lot done. It was it was amazing. I highly recommend. A trip to Beijing, especially during New Year, where you know everyone's traveled back to their hometown, so kind of uh, have a less, I guess, claustrophobic experience. Like it's it's more relaxed. 
so that was a vacation trip you did yeah um you know the obviously it's a similar new year across the continent so we had time off in korea and uh, we just took a, a hop over to china for a little visit it was really it was really really good and how do you choose beijing basically the the whole trip was centered around the great wall yeah. going to see the great wall so you know it just made sense to stay in beijing and yeah it's just a, a great city and you know we got to to look around the forbidden city and yeah it was a fantastic experience i hope you didn't only eat kfc while you were there <laughs> i was not allowed i did experience you were forced uh, to expand yes. your repertoire Yes. No, I had amazing dumplings and, you know, you know the, the, the soup dumplings and things like that and had some duck and, you know, all the classics, typical yeah. tourist stuff. But uh, yeah, I did not have a choice. I had to go to KFC. Otherwise, it was that or starvation. I mean, yeah. You know, what, can you, what can you do? And how would you compare the food in Beijing to other places you've been? Oh, I mean... Yeah, less uh, obvious what you're actually getting, perhaps oh. than than other places. You kind of have to more surprises. Uh, yeah, just point and pray kind of situation. So, but everything I had was delicious, including my uh, my KFC. Yeah, well, I know Hong Kong's a big foodie destination, and they mm. definitely had a lot of. I mean, it was I was only there for a visa run for a week or so, but you could have just endlessly tried different little hidden restaurants all in all around the city and you could probably spend years doing that and never run out of options so i love places like that yeah i do regret not going to hong kong that was that was one place i should have got to but alas here we are well uh, still on the bucket list for next time that is true um so we're going to take a short break uh and then after that we will be joined by janice tremblay to talk about her um, teaching adventures in China uh, and how she became involved in the army. Uh, but this is not any army. This is the BTS army for rabid K-pop fans. Um, but first, a word from our sponsor. With Oxford Seminars, starting your new career teaching ESL couldn't be easier. Oxford Seminars has trained more than 70,000 teachers over the past 20 years, and you could be next. Their comprehensive 120-hour program starts with live instruction from an experienced ESL teacher, followed by convenient online modules. If your goal is to relocate overseas, or even teach from the comfort of your own home, Oxford Seminars' renowned lifetime job placement service will get you where you want to be. Call 1-800-779-1779 by June 11th and give the code POD609 to get $50 off your Oxford Seminars TESOL course price when paying in full. If you're too late, don't worry, there'll be another code in the next episode. Now back to the show. As promised, we are now joined by Janice Trombley. Janice is a teacher based in Kingston, Ontario, and was previously an esteemed member of Oxford Seminars' job placement service. She has a teaching degree from UFT and taught at an international school in Jiangmen, China back in 2011. Janice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, James and Alex. Thanks for having me. You are. Thanks for being here. 
more than welcome. So, Janice, let's get right to it. How did you end up in Jiangmen? How did you choose that location? Well, I didn't really choose it, to be honest. I just finished my teaching degree and then had to move back in with my parents at 26. So I was looking basically for any kind of good teaching job I could get. Uh, Ontario has an apply to education website where there's jobs posted for all school boards across Ontario, as well as any internationally registered schools around the world. And I just happened to be on the website searching, saw the job posting for an opportunity in China and decided to apply. I don't even think that I even read the city, <laughs> obviously where it was, and very quickly had an interview and was actually within China within the month of having applied for the position. So it happened very quickly. I didn't really, and I wasn't necessarily really planning and looking specifically to go overseas at the time. It just was an opportunity that presented itself. And so in China, what was your school like? How many teachers did they have? And what was your weekly schedule like? Okay, well, as I said, it was an Ontario certified high school. The school itself was actually K to 12. I only worked in the high school side and we had an Ontario principal and we had, I think it was 11 Ontario certified high school teachers there. And then there were two other Canadian ESL teachers in the elementary side of the school as well. So having done very little research about Jiangmen, how was it? It was actually a really nice city. Yeah. It was a small town for China. My students constantly referred to it as a village because many of our students actually came from Shanghai and other areas in China. And we even had students from South Korea and from Thailand that were staying at the boarding school as well. So my students called it a village, but it was 4 million people, which was still twice the size of Canada's largest city. So it was still pretty busy to me. Um, it was actually a really interesting city, though, because it was a really big hub for foreigners. So there was a lot of Europeans within the city. You were always sort of ran into different people from other countries all over the place. So it was a great city, even though it was a small city to be in. It was really fun because the Chinese people there were quite used to foreigners. So they were very accommodating and helpful whenever you were trying to find things in grocery stores that you couldn't figure out how to say in Chinese. And do you have any particular uh, highlights from your, your time there? Hmm. I guess there was this, there was actually a mountain in the middle of the city and the city was kind of built around it. And there was a really cute little temple on the top of it. And one of the teachers that I worked with was always telling us that it was such a nice, easy walk and hike up the mountain because there's, a stairway all the way up and down both sides. But so he convinced all of us to go one day, neglecting to mention that it was a nice, easy hike because he ran 20 kilometer marathons on a regular basis. And the rest of us didn't even walk to the school from our apartment, we took the bus. So it was a very exhausting day going up the mountain. It took me about three hours I think to walk to the top of this mountain and back down the other side, which was a little bit exhausting <laughs> to say the least, but the temple at the top was really worth it. It was a really cute and gorgeous little pagoda. I was up there and I was always so impressed when I went to any of the pagodas or any of the small mountaintops in China to see 
a lot of the Chinese women walking up the mountains on dates in like stilettos and not even sweating. And I was just pouring and dripping sweat and practically crawling up them. So definitely a different stamina set. <laughs> and so I hope you got some good food after that excursion. Did you have any interesting or surprising foods while you were abroad? I, it's a little bit hard for me to say because I didn't know what I was eating most of the time. Mm. Usually when I went out to a restaurant, I always picked everything just on the picture. Very rarely was there an English description on any of the menus in the city that I lived in. Every once in a while, you'd, there'd be two lines of Chinese writing and then it would say like chicken underneath it maybe. Um, I did, I know one time I did have some squid cause that's fairly recognizable on your plate. Other things are not as noticeable. I think the, for me, the most interesting thing and nicest thing that I ate while I was in China is not really, I think too exotic, but I went to a very fancy dumpling restaurant one time and everything was dumplings and they had these really amazing dessert dumplings with walnuts in them. Mm. I guess I just never thought that you would put nuts in dumplings, but it was the most delicious thing I've probably ever eaten. And I would go back to China just to get walnut dumplings again. Okay, walnut dumplings added to the bucket list, James. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe there's something similar in Korea with walnuts. I'm trying to think, but yeah, they are super delicious. Mm -hmm. But I don't know about you. I, I would never know what any of these things are called. So like. Yeah, I don't know what it was called in China. Yeah, how do you, how do you ever get it again? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, this was, I'm thinking the menu must have had it written on it in English. And I could tell you exactly what restaurant it was. Oddly enough, it was in the city of Xi'an, which is an ancient capital of China. And if you're in the center of the city, right at the center bell tower, it is, and you're facing north, <laughs> watching the bell tower, it is off to the left-hand side and it's this giant golden building that says dumplings. Okay, okay. if you're listening to this from Xi'an, then go mm -hmm. suss it out and uh, drop us a line on social media. Yeah, you have a challenge. Head north <laughs> to the dumpling, <laughs> dumpling tower. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, Janice, do you have any advice for, for someone who is kind of new to teaching and and decides that they want to take the plunge and go to China as like a first excursion? Mm -hmm. I would say definitely be very open and recognize that you're the foreigner in this place and be, I think, very, I guess, accepting of the differences that you see because it's, it's definitely it's not going to be like Canada and it's not going to be anything like the States everything is going to be at times very shocking to you just in the everyday how things work. So yeah, I guess just being very open and accepting that this is someone else's culture and place and you're the one that needs to adapt and fit into that to find your own happy medium there. And in terms of um, the, the teaching side of things, um, how, how did that pan out because presumably this was like your first teaching gig really yes yes it was my first teaching job actually and 
it's really interesting in that I was very lucky that I actually got to teach at Ontario High School. So I was teaching Ontario curriculum, which was very beneficial for me when I came home to Canada and to get a job teaching here because I did have applicable teaching experience. But it was also very different in that the classroom management styles that you're going to use, I think in China and need to use here in Canada will be very, very different. You're not going to find in China that the students will act out in any of the same ways that they're likely to act out in Canada. And so you're going to employ very different strategies to sort of control and manage your classroom. In a lot of ways, it was much easier in China to do that than in Canada. But sometimes the motivational factor was much harder in China, I found, than here in Canada. And also the, the learning styles and the way that the Chinese education system emphasizes learning is quite different from what it is in Canada. And so if you are a new teacher, especially if you actually do have a degree in teaching and you've been preparing to teach in the Ontario system, that's going to be a pretty big learning curve for you when you go over there. Um, even if you're teaching in an Ontario certified school, there's going to be very different expectations of what you teach the children and how the children are taught, if that makes sense. So did you find it helpful having your education degree uh, for your overseas teaching? Yeah, I really did find it very helpful. Even though my teaching job in China was my first actual job teaching, during my bachelor's of education degree, you do a number of practicums or placements in school. And U of T at that time was doing three full month practicums in different classrooms and schools. So you really had a chance already to be in the classroom, be in charge of it, writing your lesson plans, following the curriculum. And because I did my practicums in Toronto as well, I was in some very multicultural classrooms, which was very beneficial in helping me learn how to adapt to the different cultural needs and expectations of my students. So Janice, I'm wondering what age group are you teaching at the moment? I teach primarily in high schools. Oh, okay. So that was something that you've kind of continued doing then with a yes. similar age group. And I am certified to teach four to 12, but I usually teach mostly in the high schools a few times in elementary schools on occasion. Okay. So you did mention um, some, some of the differences uh, between, you know, teaching your high school students in China and teaching them in Canada. Dad, just wondering if you had any uh, further differences or, or even similarities. Hmm. That's a little tricky. I guess there's similarities in that they were teenagers and teenagers are pretty similar just about anywhere in the world that you go. There were lots of differences too in that the culture in China in how you interact with your teacher is very, very different. And there's this great line of respect that they emulate for their teachers. But in some ways, sometimes when you're teaching, especially Canadian curriculum, where you want the students to really be engaged in the lesson plan, interacting with you in the lesson plan, and thinking critically and questioning some of the material that you're presenting them, that is very difficult, I found, for my Chinese students to do because they are very much taught to listen 
to the teacher and to not question them or the material. So whenever we wanted them doing those kinds of things, it really took a lot of effort to coax them into them. So that sometimes was difficult because it's often required in Ontario curriculum that the students are engaging in those kinds of activities. So um, was it almost uh, easier then to come back home to teach in that respect? Again, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> it was easier doing those types of things in a classroom here in, in Canada because the students are used to that and are expecting that in their classrooms to do this. But then some of the classroom management aspects could be more difficult as they're not certainly more prone to act out, but that's a more common and accepted behavior in Canada, that students can misbehave within the classroom and be disrespectful. So you have to develop different classroom management strategies to deal with that when that wasn't really necessary in China. Do you know if any of the other, uh, your, your friends from university went overseas after they finished their education degrees? Mm -hmm. Not specifically any of the teachers that were that I was in my program with. I know there were three of them that had previously been overseas teaching ESL in South Korea in, uh, in my classroom and then came back to get their teaching degrees to teach here. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, James, are you ready to jump into the really exciting stuff? Yes, as often happens on this podcast, we're going to take a a real swerve uh, in direction um, because Janice we have heard that you are a massive k-pop fan is this true uh, <laughs> I, I'm a little bit of a k-pop fan yes and would there be a particular group that uh, captured your attention I am a pretty big fan of bts no so Let's put it into context. How big a fan are you? Do you have, <laughs> is it just that you have a t-shirt? Have you ever seen them live? Like, let's like find the level here. Uh, yes and yes. I do have a BTS t-shirt. I have a few of their albums and I did see them perform live in 2018 mm. when they came to Hamilton, their first Canadian show ever. And I had tickets to see them last year which has been postponed until the pandemic is over. So I'm very excited for that. Not, how was that? I, I can feel the jealousy from my middle school students that I used to teach in Korea. Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely an entire visual audio extravaganza, basically. Yeah. That's one of the things I find really fun about K-pop and about BTS is that it's really good music. It's really fun visuals and the dancing and everything is amazing. And there's so much color and just so much activity going on on the stage that it's just a really fun show. It was also probably, now I go to a lot of concerts, a lot of different music concerts, pop, rock, rap concerts. I've done all those things. And BTS was definitely the most culturally diverse audience I have ever been in, which was really, really fun to see. There was so many different people, all age ranges, some of them probably being parents, their kids. <laughs> but it was just a really, really fun and diverse experience to see. 
amazing yeah i can't claim that he's as cool as bts but i did see sai when i was in korea oh, and it was bananas like that guy it just goes for it like he turned up in a limo he jumped on the stage did his songs jumped back in the limo and drove away it was totally bizarre but amazing yeah i was so impressed with their energy and their stamina because it's a full two and a half hour show there's no openers no closers they're the only people on the stage for two and a half hours and despite, even when they're not doing all their elaborate dances, they never stop moving on the stage. So they're just, they have so much energy and so much stamina. It's really impressive. Okay, here's some BTS questions sent in by a fellow BTS fan. Janice, <laughs> who is your BTS bias? <laughs> My answer to that is always whoever is center frame mm. in the song. And I say that because V, once told us that BTS is seven guys and you need to give all of them some love and attention. So I love all of them. Okay, very good political answer. How about this one? What is your favorite Jungkook moment? Oh, hmm. I think I would probably pick, this is like going way, way back, I think to their 2016 Fiesta that they were doing. They all wrote letters to each other, anonymous letters, I think to point out like some annoying habit somebody had that bothered them to try and like work out these issues amongst themselves. Wow. And so the letters were all supposed to be anonymous. And then Jin, the eldest member read all of the letters. And one letter he came to, he starts reading it and it says, D, Dear V, he Hayin. And Hayin is an honorary title that you put after the name of a male friend of yours who is older than you. But V is the second youngest member in the group. So only Jungkook is younger than V and can call him Hayin. So immediately everybody knew that Jungkook had written that letter and we're all just making fun of him. And it was hilarious because he was so embarrassed. That letter idea sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I am sorry to swerve back into the real world, not to the BTS world. Um, but we do have one more question for you, Janice, before we let you go. Um, you were a job placement advisor at Oxford Seminars. Yes. Um, so we just wanted to know, do you have any top tips or advice for people, um, A, thinking about teaching overseas and B, looking for a job specifically? Mm -hmm. I would say definitely be open to your location and be open to your the city that you're looking at being in. It's great to have a good country in mind, but sometimes you'll see people focusing on large city areas and city centers, and you'll often get a much better cultural experience in a smaller town. I'm very happy that when I went to China, even though I didn't really do a whole lot of research before I did go, that I was in a smaller Chinese city because I felt like I had a much more authentic experience than living even in Beijing or Shanghai. So I, that definitely be very open to location. I think definitely do a little bit of cultural research before you go as well, so that you kind of know what behaviors are expected of you as a foreigner in the country and what things foreigners tend to do in that country that can really annoy people 
that can be a, a really nice heads up before you go somewhere that you know you're not upsetting everybody when you're walking by. Perfect. Well, Janice, it was so great having you with us today. Um, so thanks again for taking the time and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. I hope you guys do too. Don't forget, you can get $50 off your Oxford Seminars TESOL TESOL TEFL course price when paying in full by calling 1-800-779-1779 by June 11th and giving the code POD609. Oxford Seminars is one of the leading providers of TESOL TESOL TEFL training courses in North America. So visit OxfordSeminars.com today to find out more. Now back to the show. So I just want to say thanks again to Janice Tremblay for being a wonderful guest and giving us a little insight into her life in China and what she listens to. Um, so earlier on, Alex, we were talking about my my Brexit blog and the you know the the unfortunate lack of Eurovision content in that yeah. blog, uh, which you know, serious. Yeah, yeah, it's a big problem. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering, I, do you have an update for us uh, on any blogs that you're writing at the moment? Yeah, I've actually been busy writing a blog this week about my experiences working with some migrant laborers from Mexico and the Caribbean on farms in Canada, actually. And this was something I did for two summers during university. And it was part of a literacy program run by a Canadian non-for-profit organization. And the idea was that they would place university students to live and work on Canadian farms for the summer alongside migrant farm workers. And in addition to working on the farm, we would also try to provide free voluntary ESL classes to our co-workers uh, in the evenings or on weekends or whenever we could find time to do it. So it was a really unique experience and it taught me about the importance of language communication in the workplace and how if you have a a language teacher training, like a TESOL certificate, it can really help you to both to communicate, but also to turn the workplace into a potential language learning environment. And I learned that like workplaces can be great language learning environments and opportunities because you have daily practice is built into your routine. And there's also this strong motivational incentive there as well. So that's a blog I'm working on. It should be coming out pretty soon. And in addition to that, there are some other great recently published blogs alongside your excellent Brexit blog uh, on the Oxford Seminars website. And some of the recent topics were teaching ESL in Korea, conquering Mexico as an ESL teacher, why I love teaching, and how COVID-19 helped one of our graduates decide to call Vietnam home. So to check out more of these blogs, visit www.oxfordseminars.com and click on the blog link in the upper right-hand corner. Excellent. Thank you, Alex, for that update. Uh, yeah, cannot recommend those blogs enough. Uh, they're getting updated all the time. So do check them out. Um, so to you, listener, thank you again for tuning in to the Teaching Abroad pod. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe and also share it with your friends. Remember, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, overcast you know, anywhere that you can find a good podcast if you have any ideas you'd like to hear us discuss in upcoming episodes please leave them in the comments on youtube or send them to oxford seminars on facebook instagram or twitter you can email us directly at teachingabroadpod at oxfordseminars.com
Thank you.